0: The executive
2: producer is Papa that week, and you want to say, "How am I doing? Am I doing this correctly? Am I am I doing what you want? Are you happy? Are you happy that you hired me? Right. That's really important to me." Right. And you would figure, "Why would that be important to you? Look at your career. Look at all you've done." No, 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 no. I still need affirmation from Daddy. <laughs> Tell me I'm good. <laughs> tell me I'm good. And I don't want the audience to tell me I'm good. I want you, the writer, yeah. the creator to tell me, this is what I wrote. I wrote a double. I think you hit a triple. You may have even hit a home run. Yeah. That that's what I want. Every yeah. time I work, that's what I want. So, that's what I do. Hi. My name is Richard Kind and I get to talk all about me for the next hour.
3: Howdy, folks, and welcome to another episode of Off the Beat. As always, it's me. It's Brian Baumgartner. As you just heard, if you don't recognize that voice, I don't know where you've been for the last 50 years. The incredible Richard Kind is the man you just heard from. Look. I got to tell you, I am more than kind of excited to share our conversation today. Get it? No, that was bad, but it's true. It's incredible. He has been in more movies and TV shows than I can count, but luckily I don't have to. IMDB says that he has worked on or is working on 272 projects. Now that's not individual episodes. 272 unique projects. That is insane. You may know him as Cousin Andy on Curb Your Enthusiasm, or perhaps Paul Lasseter in Spin City, or maybe you're most familiar with him from the numerous Pixar movies he's been involved in. Toy Story 3, or his work as Bing Bong on Inside Out, or Molt on A Bug's Life, or maybe you're more into shows about pubescent teens. Well, if so, Richard plays Marty in Big Mouth. Yes, the man has range. I'm excited to dive into some of his projects. Yes. But also, I was so interested in talking to Richard about what it's like being a working actor for all of these years. I can't tell you what this conversation meant to me. I learned so much today. I hope you have fun and maybe learn a little bit too so it is my absolute pleasure to bring on richard so you can hear straight from the horse's mouth because yeah richard's played a horse too no he hasn't that was a joke here he is richard kind
2: bubble and squeak i love it bubble and squeak i know and squeak, I
4: cook it
2: every moment left over from the night before. Hey buddy. I can't see you yet. Oh you can't see me? Now I can see you.
3: Oh. how are you? How are
2: you? I think this is much better.
3: This is much better. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me. You know, I'm a huge fan.
2: Thank you. I am a huge fan of yours, which is why I'm doing this. Even though it took forever to get us organized, (laughs) who have you had on the show, and what makes you a good podcaster? Wow, that's a great
3: question. Starting off with the questions from you, Um, I don't know if I'm great or not. But look, here's what I find interesting: is I've what I who I want to talk to are people that one I maybe don't know too well. Mm-hmm. guys like you that I admire, but we've met and guys that I've worked with that we don't, you know, you're on set. You don't sit there and, and talk so much about history or, or moments that help them. So who have I had? Um, John Hamm. Oh, okay. Eric stone street. Uh-huh. Uh, huh. who did we just have? Uh, Eric McCormack and Best, uh, Bellamy young and Kevin Pollack. I know uh-huh. old, Buddy of yours. I don't Every know. one
2: of those people you mentioned are, are friends of mine.
3: Yeah. 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 So oh, that's you know, wonderful. It's been a variety of conversations.
2: Oh, that's great. Great, great, great. You're yeah. Lucky. Yeah.
3: I uh, I want to go back with you for a little bit. You grew up in, in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Right. What is the best way to describe Bucks County for people who have never been there?
2: Oh, okay. It's It's first of all, it's beautiful. That's bottom line. Bucks County is across the river from uh, New Jersey, from Trenton, New Jersey. My dad's store was in Princeton, New Jersey. Okay. I was born and up until fourth grade lived in Trenton. Then we moved across the street to the Tonier area and Trenton was beginning to change. So we, we moved to Bucks County to Yardley. At the time you had a steel mill in Fairless Hills you had rolling farmland all over. It gets, it, it abuts Amish country, and it's about uh, 50 minutes from Philadelphia. It is bucolic and beautiful, and it is surrounded by two large cities, New York and Philadelphia. I'm about an hour, by train, you're about an hour and 10 minutes from uh, New York, hour and 20 minutes. And that's where people went to work, or they went to work in Philly, or they worked in the area.
3: Right. Your dad was a jeweler, I yeah. understand.
2: I, wait. I, here's a better way to describe it. My dad had a jewelry store. Okay. And his competition was Tiffany and Cartier. Okay. Because people in Princeton were very educated, very wealthy, and they either went to New York to buy all their gems and their jewelry and the watches and everything, or they went to my dad. Believe it or not, my dad's suppliers were the same people who supplied Tiffany and Cartier, the same uh, jewelry makers. Right. However, Tiffany and Cartier can get necklaces that are $500,000 and have about eight of them in the window. My dad couldn't. Right. But if you needed one of those necklaces, he would get six of them in. He would show them to you. And then the one that you wanted, you bought. And if you didn't like any of them, he'd get six more in. Right. But you didn't have to schlep into the city where you were a nobody or you could go to my dad, who would take care of you very specifically. He knew you well. He knew your family. He knew the taste of the wife and the kids, and so it was a very personalized, beautiful jewelry store. And I understand this
3: was going to be your business. This was you were you were going to take up the family business.
2: It was so. When I say my dad wasn't a jeweler, although he knew gemology really well, uh, he could do everything that a jeweler could. That is not what he did. My dad could sell ice to the Eskimos. (laughs) He was a great and charming salesman. He was the only Jew in a very, very waspy New Jersey town, Princeton. The rest of his life was spent with Jewish friends at the club and things like that, but his work was in Princeton. And although he may have been looked at as a Jew, I don't think he was known like that. He was he was revered in Princeton. He was on the board of the bank, on the board of the theater, and in the town council. Everything like that. So I don't believe that there there was any prejudice at all in that way. He wasn't the Jewish guy in a WASPy town, but he had to know that he was, and all of his friends were either you know from the temple, you know from the neighborhood where he was when he wasn't working. Right. Yeah.
3: And you thought you would take this business over. My my understanding was you went to Northwestern to study law, pre-law. Right. And you were going to go back and take over the business.
2: Right. My dad did not want me to go into the business unless I uh, got a law degree and a business degree because he always felt that the store could have been larger and he should have made it bigger, had a couple of stores. He didn't need to, but. That's all that's what he thought I should do and expand the business. Okay. Uh, I would not, I, I am not business minded. Right. However, I'm a nice guy. My dad taught me two things. Number one, you never buy jewelry for a sad occasion. You always, it's always happy. It's a very positive business. And the second thing is, is if you believe in a product, I, I can sell anything if I believe in a product. And my dad's stuff was not just the best; it was so overpriced. He charged so much, but he would guarantee that what you were getting was the best quality, and he would stand behind it. And it would nobody; it was worth the money that you were paying. You're right. getting the best that that money could buy, and he, that's what he would bring in. And he would never dicker or haggle for a price or anything like that. You know, they charge a thousand dollars and say, Well, I'll give you seven fifty. He wouldn't do that. Okay. He would say, No, that's not what we do. So he really taught me how to be classy. I'm not saying he was a classy guy, but when it came to that, he was classy. Hmm. He truly was.
3: Right. Yeah. Did you do any performing as a kid?
2: Only in school. Okay. I uh, the, the only thing the only reason I wanted to be an actor was my grandparents used to take me to theater in New York. OK. And so I wanted to be an actor. But, you know, kids want to be baseball players and kids <laughs> right. want to be firemen. And the thought of me being an actor. It was it was a pipe dream. It was it was stupid. The thing is, I kept doing school plays okay, and I was always the best. So I guess if you're the best football player, are you really going to try and be a pro? Yeah, you may have aspirations, but no. If you're a high school football player, in one in one hand you can count the number of people, you know, who go on to professional sports. An actor, I guess, you don't have to have such uh, such restrictions. Right. So I go, ah, okay, yeah, I'm going to be an actor. I kept being the best. I did a thing called forensics, so I I, I won the national championship in oral interpret, and and dramatic interpret. And and, and I said, "Yeah, but I'm not going to be an actor." And I went to, to Northwestern, where I did what I loved to do, but I got an education, okay. and that's what Northwestern did. Are these answers way too long? No, it's no. are You, are you okay. kidding me? You'll no, cut. it's great. You, you'll cut when I go on too much about myself. No,
3: you're okay. no. That's it's it is about you, uh, but I'm fascinating with the moment that you know. It sounds like you well you loved your dad i presume you respected the hell out of your dad and what and mm-hmm. the business he was he was building and you go to northwestern and you're on this path at what is the moment that you decide the path is going to change i mean i know you end up going to second city
2: right i it, it, it was all one thing there was a guy who i'm actually going to see next week i hope he's in his 90s he they, they lived next door to us he was my parents best friend They, they he And we're watching football and I was supposed to go to law school and my dad's best friend, Steve Holzman, said, these were his exact words, try acting because when you're 40, you're going to resent your wife, you're going to resent your kids, that you never tried it. A Mm. dream deferred. It's the worst. Go try it. If it works out, great. If it doesn't work out, you got the store. I was a 21-year-old kid, 20 at the time. So what the hell? And, and I say this if I ever give lectures or something. First of all, I had nobody to answer to but myself. Second thing is, dare to fail. And I think that's a really important thing as you really go through life. Failure can be looked on as a good thing.
3: Absolutely, yeah. You,
2: you know, I, that, that didn't happen, so what else can I do that might make me, make me successful? And who the hell knows? I might be successful. So I went out and I tried it. And for a while, did I fail? Let me, I'll tell you the worst. And you being a character actor, I don't know whether or not you had to deal with this in your youth, but we're not the best looking men that walk the planet. (laughs) I couldn't get an acting job. And what was worse is I couldn't get a waiter's job.
5: They wanted a better
2: looking person, and 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 I'm going. Oh my god! I, it's enough. I can't get work as an actor. I, I can't work get work serving food. Well, of course, eventually I did, and of course, right. eventually I did. And when I say get work as an actor, I I did stuff. I I did the classes and I did off Broadway plays, but the journey. This I'm sure you know too. The journey is a, a great time. Yes after you've done the journey. Right. You know, sometimes that journey is just dreadful. But, you know, you go and you do an off-Broadway play. It's horrible. But you go out afterwards and you get drunk and maybe you meet a girl who you get laid and and you're you're doing that stuff and you can stay out till four in the morning because you got nobody to answer to. And you realize, I remember doing that play. And I don't know whether I was good, bad, or indifferent, but I did it. Right. And that's fun. Right. I think that's a lot of fun.
3: So you, you were focused in New York. Mm-hmm. What made you decide to go to Harvard or the Harvard of theater?
2: Of of as, uh, you,
4: as you
3: call of it. Of theater.
2: Okay. When I look back at it, and I'm not looking at it, I think this is the first time I've ever said this out loud. I did everything, as not by plan, in increments of four. I went to high school, ninth grade through twelfth grade for four years. I went to Northwestern for four years. I was in New York for four years. I went to Chicago for four years. Then I went to LA for a long while. As it happened, I then went back to New York for Spin City for four years, <laughs> which is just weird that I'd, none of this was in my head. Right. So I'm in New York waiting tables, taking classes, doing off-off-roadway stuff. I did a children's theater that was also for adults. Okay. I wouldn't pay money for it, but it was <laughs> uh, like if, if they had a theater uh, subscription series, one week would be Doc Severinson's band. They might have Tony Bennett come when Well, one Saturday they'd have Daniel Boone. Wow. That was a, that was a show, It, but it was very, very good. A very, very reputable uh, theater company called Performing Arts Repertory Theater, but we did it primarily for kids in second grade through high school.
4: Okay,
2: That's something I did from January till May. During that time, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Brad Hall, Gary Kroger, and a guy named Rush Pearson, and Paul Barras all started a group called the Practical Theater Company in Chicago. Yep. It's an improvisational theater company, but Chicago was the hub of, of improv. They were really good, really, really good. And when, I guess, I I think it was Lauren Michaels, was looking for four additional people. They asked Bernie Sallans, the owner of Second City, do you have anybody? And he, this is a horrible thing that he did, rather than show his people, who were very good, but they had just opened a show. He told them to go back to the other space and said, these guys are good. And they all got taken Saturday Night Live. So I had gone to school with those people. I had gone to Northwestern. While they were on Saturday Night Live, they said, why don't you go to Chicago and open a play, a play at our theater? And so I went with my best friend, who we also went to Northwestern, and we opened a play that was really, really successful there. Okay. It was really good. The owner of Second City saw us and he said, uh, I want you to be, he asked me and, and my best friend if we wanted to be in Second City. Of course, oh my God, gonna be in Second City. And so I spent four years in Second City. Wow! And that's what I did. So that's how I got to Second City. Actually, it overlapped. I, I did about six months of doing that play along with doing Second City. We would do the show first uh, at the small little space, then I'd run next door and do Second City. Which was so on a Saturday night, I was working from seven at night until two thirty in the morning, taking uh, or two in the morning uh, with one hour break from uh, from ten to eleven. Yeah, pretty great.
3: Prior to this time, would you say you were mainly focused in your acting on comedy, or yeah, no, it's just yeah,
2: I I was an actor, right? I and I've always 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 considered myself an actor me too yeah it's it's what i do and i do not consider myself a comedian at all me neither and i don't consider myself a comic actor because if i'm doing a serious play what the hell do you want a comic actor for i can do comedy i can do comic parts and i can give humanity to a serious part so that he can be that much more rounded that's right. Because if you just go on and just be an ogre, I mean, Alan Rickman was the best at that. Horrible villain, always funny. Yeah. He, he always lent humor to it. So that yeah. that that's what I did. But I can't say that I did. And the only reason I did Second City was because they asked me. Right. You know, everybody asks, you know, how did you get that part? Why did you take that role? Because they asked me, do you want to do it? I said, yeah, that's all I do. <laughs> I, Hank Azaria always says, "Have you ever heard the word no? You know, there, there's a reason I work so much is because I don't turn work down. I take it off. Right? I'm an, idiot. You, I'm an idiot. Do you?
3: Do you? I don't know about that. Do you think that Second City helped you later on as you became more known in in the comedy space? I mean,
2: is there a correlation there? All right, let let, let me tell you something that I did." A lot of times all of these things were just mistakes because I didn't know what else to do. But this was a conscious decision. It took me forever to leave Second City. I was really scared. I had a great security in Chicago. I had friends. I'm on stage every night. I got a paycheck every week. It's not large, but it's a paycheck. I'm a working actor. And that's bottom line is the goal for us all. Let's live well and do what we love as often as we can. This is the best life in the world. I gave my notice in February. Went out there around September, October. My first, my first thing that I got, and I got, st- I got work pretty soon. I did not want to do a comedy. Yeah. I didn't want because if I if I've got Second City on my resume, and I was was I known no, but eh, maybe word got out that I was Second City and I was good. Right. I did a Stephen Cannell, awful, awful, hard hitting police drama. We It was a very gruesome show. And I, I, I will tell you this as a side note. It was the first procedural done on TV. Wow. I know. What's it called? It's called Unsub. Okay. And you're going to go, what? I'm, I called it Unsub what? Unsub. Unsub was short for unknown subject. That's right. And that's what the FBI division, uh, who'd say serial killers, would call... The, the thing, the unknown I, subject.
3: I've been an unsub. I did criminal minds.
2: Mm-hmm. So I know I know, right. I know. unsubs we, and procedurals. <laughs> we were criminal minds in 1986. Right. Okay, before any of it happened. And whenever I see Peter Roth, who uh, just left uh, Warner Brothers, but he used to run Cannell. And whenever I see him, you know, he hugs you. And he goes, we were the first. <laughs> and we were. We but. But when I tell you, well, you know how how gruesome criminal minds can be. Yes. Imagine no precedent having ever been sent spent. There was no precedent. Right. So the first episode was a great actor named Paul Guilfoyle. You know, Paul? I don't. Uh, you, you look him up and you'll know exactly okay. who he is. Paul Guilfoyle was a serial killer. He was a cobbler. And he used to put razor blades in the heels of women's shoes. So when they would try them on, they'd bend over in pain and he would stab them in the back of the neck. This was the pilot episode. My and word. he comes running home to to tell his mother, mommy, mommy, I did something bad. His mother, do you know who Grace Zabriskie is? Yes. Grace Zabriskie played his mother. He runs into the bathroom. There she is, literally spread eagle in the bathtub. So you see the origins of his, of the horrors. Right. And he's talking to his mother while she's naked in the bathtub spread-eagled. In 1986. <laughs> you know, Partridge family. You know, there were, you know, whoever. Right. Different strokes. Right. And this is what's on the air, and Brandon Tartikoff, who was head of the studio, Cannon was known for doing the A-Team. So he thought he was going to get the A-Team. And he saw the, the on the big screen this first episode and he stands up, he goes, what the fuck are you trying to do? Take down this whole network. And so Cannell knew, cause we were 11 on the air. He knew we were 11 and out and we were off the air. Wow. I don't know how good the show was, but it was groundbreaking. But it was, it, was, it was, groundbreaking. was groundbreaking without, without doing anything to the TV landscape. Right. It's like we, we changed the rules or we made the rules and we're we're never seen again.
3: And then nothing happened for 15 years, and now that's
2: it's really all the it truth. Was. Yeah. And then and then and then Dick Wolf took over and criminal minds and then the, the whole the whole thing. And that's what police dramas became.
4: Right.
0: If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. just ask one of the millions of people who have achieved lasting change. You have lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zin. Find your Zin online or in a store near you at Zin.com find. That's ZYN.com find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical.
3: so I am going to take a little detour here because let me be honest you you've done so much we we can't we can't cover this in a day not to speak of of an hour but you just pathetic you, but go ahead you were just talking about being referring to yourself as a working actor what, Mm -hmm. what, what we all want to do. And since you started, you have, you have achieved that whether it's because you couldn't say no or not, that's good. I know it's, it's blind luck. It's blind luck. So I want, I want you for, for people who don't really understand, how would you describe this lifestyle of going from job to job, character to character? How would you describe that? And have you enjoyed that? As opposed to the sameness.
2: Nobody's ever asked me that, and it's a really good question. I've I've addressed it, but nobody's asked me. There was a time. I'm not going to. I'll give you the bad examples: Love Boat, Love American Style, but MacGyver, East Side West Side, uh, uh, The Defenders, The Twilight Zone. You could guest star on a show, and get paid well. Mm. And then all of a sudden, it became. You guessed it on a show. You got top of show and it became something where oh he can't be a regular on a TV show. Now you and I know that being a regular on a TV show pays mightily, <laughs> and being a guest star does not. <laughs> right. So you can do a guest star every week of the season and make and make a paltry living. Right. But if you gotta get on a TV show, if I had my druthers I'd like to be a guest on every TV show every week of the year. That's what I would like to do. I would like to be my own repertory company. Number one, when you're a guest, they have to tell the audience who you are, why you fit in this world, why you are in this world. So you're being written. It's exploring. It's great. A guest star role is fantastic. You get to be in a lot of the episode. Right. You just don't get paid well. Okay. <laughs> you come on and you meet different people. You make new friends. It's great. You're, you're active again. As opposed to, look, I Mike, I, I loved every cast I've ever been with. Sure. But, okay, good morning. How are you? What'd you do last night? <laughs> Goodbye. Okay, let's go. Okay. The energy, the excitement of meeting somebody new isn't there. It's, well, let's just go to the old nine to five. Maybe you become more intimate, maybe you become closer friends. I don't need that. I like meeting different people right so so that's what I would like to do. Look, you've heard people complain about it when they do the procedurals. Uh, I used to call it uh, when I was on Spin City, same joke different words <laughs> but uh I got tired I get tired of it. I do when now here's something else this I have spoken about. when I was a kid my favorite TV shows were Batman okay. and All in the Family. You, you, In every interview that I would read with Carol O'Connor or Adam West, they would say, I don't want to just be known for being Batman. I don't just want to know, be known for playing Archie Bunker. Sorry, guys, you are. <laughs> That's who you are. Right. I don't care that you did In the Heat of the Night. Right. I, I don't care that you did any of that stuff. You are... Archie Bunker, you are Batman. Even at an early age, that scared the pants off me. I didn't want that at all. And at Spin City, they used to say, oh, you're going to be the breakout character. Get yourself a PR person. You're the breakout character. If I'm the breakout character, that's mean. That's what I'm going to be known for. So I hardly did. Every time I did PR, I was scared that all people would know me for is uh, it was Paul Lasseter. I did not want to be Paul Lassiter. I didn't want to be a breakout character. Mm. Maybe it gets you work or a movie or something for three, four years, but then you're you're just that guy. You just are. There are exceptions to the rule, of course. I think my good friend George Clooney is an exception. Became known for being Doug Ross, was lucky enough to break from that. But not many others on that show were. Right. Uh, it took years for Julianne
4: yeah. to
2: become the good wife. It's tough. Uh, I, I think Julianne really had to age. All I wanted to do was just keep working and working. Now, the good thing is I'm not a leading man. You know, Jeff Beck uh, just passed away. Mm. And I read he he was interviewed and they said, well, you never became the star. You never broke out like Jimi Hendrix or Eric Clapton. Uh, but he was voted top one of the top five guitarists. And he, like I say, is thank God that never happened. I didn't. I didn't have to do all of that. And I saw a clip of him playing on David Letterman, uh, and playing great. He was fantastic. David Letterman calls him over. He sits down. You're great job. Great job. And as he's saying, "Ladies and gentlemen, Jeff Be- Beck gets up and walks off." Right, and leaving Letterman hanging, and it's like, don't know me for being Jeff Beck, know me for being guitarist Jeff Beck, and actually Letterman being so funny, Jeff Beck is off, off into the wings. He leaves Dave hanging, and Dave goes, <laughs> Dave goes accepting the award for Jeff Beck. Like, <laughs> it was hilarious. It's like, what the where the hell are you going? I, I'm not saying, look, my ego does not want to be that because you and I both have huge egos. That's why we got in the (laughs) business. But uh, don't keep me hanging there all the time for being uh, on this character. Yeah, keep the applause coming, but uh, shut up. It's it's really a dichotomy. I love the applause. Uh, Shut up.
3: Well, I absolutely love your answer about guest stars, because you give a, re- a refreshing different perspective because for me in this business, the guest star role is the hardest. It's, it's the hardest because you show up, there's 120 people standing there and you don't know anybody's name. You don't know where the bathroom is. Yeah, you don't but, know. But
2: but I love the, un- I love the uncomfortableness of it. You I love, love it. the learning and that you're just new, especially I, I have to admit this too. And you get it the same way. We walk on stage and we come with a resume.
3: Well, people are nice they, to
2: us. They, yes. they are nice to us. Yes. So we are welcomed. Here you go. Yes. It's, it's still uncomfortable, but they are very nice to us and they're excited to meet us. They're excited to see what we do. The only, you know, the only thing we could do is fuck it up. <laughs> right. And, right. And, and we're capable of that, <laughs> but we try not to. And so let's not fuck it up, and let's let's be excited by not knowing where the bathroom is, and not knowing who these people are, or how fast they work, and only one time I I I've worked for Chuck Lorre a couple of times. Yes. But I one time, and it could have had the taint of it was in a in the throes of the Charlie Sheen thing on, on Two and a Half Men, but I I don't think he liked me. I was introduced at the table, comedy legend Richard Kind, but he didn't like me as days wore on. (laughs) And, uh, you know, and he's not the nicest man in the business, and he sort of wore it on his sleeve. Not that he was mean to me at all, but I got it that first day, and it didn't continue. Now, I went on to other shows of his, and he was gracious and grateful and terrific. Uh, And I knew him personally before I knew him uh, professionally. We played poker. And he, he was great. But you want to, the executive producer is Papa that week. And you want to say, how am I doing? Am I doing this correctly? Am I am I doing what you want? Are you happy? Are you happy that you hired me? Right. That's really important to me. Right. And you would figure, why would that be important to you? Look at your career. Look at all you've done. No, 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 no. I still need affirmation from Daddy. Tell me I'm good. <laughs> tell me I'm good. And I don't want the audience to tell me I'm good. I want you, the writer, yeah. the creator, to tell me this is what I wrote. I wrote a double. I think you hit a triple. You may have even hit a home run. Yeah. That that's what I want. Every yeah. time I work, that's what I want. So that's what I do.
3: I love that. I love that. And how how true you are. We're all looking for uh for daddy's approval in one yeah. way or another. Yep. You are um. Yep, yep, yep. You're a member of a of a prestigious club, one that at some point I I hope to uh, apply to and get in.
2: I I wonder what you're talking about. Is this the Excessive Masturbators Club? The what are char- you talking about?
3: The Character Actors Dining Society. So
2: you are talking about the masturbators. The excessive <laughs> masturbators. <laughs> I I got to tell you I am uh there's two things that are very difficult. One God, I'm going to get so attacked here, on behalf of the whole thing. God, I don't know whether I should. I should mention first of all, it's limited. Yes, we started it with a certain number of people to get other people in. A restaurant can only handle that many. Yes, you want to be able to talk to everybody at a meal. We've already got the table is already too large.
4: It's too large.
2: It is truly the character actors dining society. Yes. And, uh, uh, and we are, we're just a bunch of guys who like to get together, talk about our families, talk about our wives, talk about the work, talk about what influenced us, talk the best jokes that we've heard lately, talk politics, talk everything. And they're a great group of guys. And we can't make it much larger. We can't make it any larger. And I don't know who's going to die yes. off. <gasps> okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't know who's going to die off first. But uh, we'll replace them at such a time. It's a great group of guys and they're, they're people who they're people who I admire, people who I am jealous of, people who when I'm in the audition, I want dead. That's who they are. <laughs> you know I I and, and I've known 90% of them for a number of decades yeah quite a number of decades. I knew Brian Cranston. Before he was guesting on Seinfeld, we used to play golf together. Yeah, and then and and I'd see him every once in a while. Now he is considered properly one of the great actors in the history of showbiz, and I know him now as well as I know him back then, from so because, of who, because of these dinners,
3: because of these dinners,
2: and because of these. So he happened to have been in New York, I think, uh, about a month or two ago. So two of the guys who are on this thread and, and this dining society, great guy named Danny Burstein and Brian and myself went out for lunch. He he initiated it, Brian did. We went out at uh, 12.30, I think we met at a restaurant. I think we got out of there at four. Wow. The three of us. It That's was great. Awesome. It's great. It's great. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, Brian, I wish right now I could say We'd love to have you come by. Oh, I was joking. I know no no, no. but there are people, there are people who who ask, and I go, we can, I, and I just got luck of the draw. Right. I was just there in the beginning. <laughs> you know, like number six, and uh, I just I'm lucky. I'm That's lucky. Awesome. Yeah. but you but but like 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 you say, you we get to know these people, and you, you've got a, a myriad, you got me. Yes. You know, you mentioned all the people who were on your show. They they know you, love you and would go out. How do you call Steve Carell? Oh, although he is a character actor, but where, where, where do you go from the difference between character actor and star?
4: Right. But
2: as somebody said, you know, Brad Pitt is one of the great character actors in the business today. He really does so many different characters, but fuck him. Okay.
3: <laughs> <laughs> true, true. I always, whenever I think about him and that, I think of True romance, always.
2: You got true romance. How about that thing where he was the Scottish boxer? Oh, yeah. Now, that's a ridiculous performance. Yes. That is as good, as good as they come. That's what I think of when yeah. they say he's a character actor. Where did he come up with that? Right. You know, and I had to talk about George the other day, uh, George Clooney on the uh, Kennedy Center Honors, and I go, yeah, he plays the Dashing... But halfway through you you realize this dashing intelligent guy, this smooth talker, is very different from the other dashing smooth talkers he plays. It's just, it's it's a variation on a theme, and then you go to, uh, oh, brother, where art thou? Yes. And where the hell did he come up with that? Yeah. So, And how did the Coen brothers know he was gonna, could do that? That was his first movie with the brothers. He, they that, didn't know him.
3: I know. That's, yeah. uh, well, they're genius. I'm going to talk about them in a second, but okay. I I love this quote. You described character actors as the parsley on a plate of meat and potatoes. That is true. Do you think everybody in the society feels that way?
2: Look, it's it, no. It's me being self-effacing. I, I should have corrected you immediately. I said, I am the parsley okay. on a plate of meat and potatoes. <laughs> okay. okay. And that's really, that's what I used to say about, men about you. Because I used to think Paul and Helen were magnificent in what they had to do. And I hated doing Mad About You because I was never challenged. And I once went up to Danny Jacobson, who had created the show, and I said, I'm not asking to star in the show. Give me one scene a week where the audience can say, Jesus, I love him. Wow, he's great. And you know what Danny's answer was? I can't promise you that. Mm. And that's when I hated doing Mad About You. And they, they, he was right. The show was about those two. Right. And uh, and, and I'm nothing. I'm, I'm helping tell their story. I'm gonna tell you an interesting thing about Seinfeld versus uh, uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. It's really interesting. Seinfeld are little blips of scene that are are cobbled together to tell a story, but I don't think you ever got more than a forty-five second to a minute and a half scene. That's
4: ever, right. That's that right. Show. That's right. You,
2: the, it was a collection of scenes that built to an end. They had to tell the story. Everybody was really represented every single week. Yes. To tell their story, all four of them. Yes. You were truly a device to help those four people tell the story. And you never really got to shine. You got to make an impression, but you never got to shine. Right. And Curb Your Enthusiasm, again, you are a device to tell one man's story, but you get to shine. And that's that's the difference between Seinfeld and Curb.
3: That's very interesting. Never really thought about it from from a, a guest perspective. But no, you're well, absolutely right.
2: Yeah, I got an ego. Of course, yeah. <laughs> I'm only thinking about me. <laughs> so that's what I'm going to see. Now, and now I, I was never on Seinfeld. I was hired for Seinfeld. This is an interesting story. You'll like this. Okay. Did you know an actor named Brad Mott?
3: No, the name is familiar, but I can't, I can't I pull it right I only
2: ask you because he's very reminiscent of what you do. He sounds okay. like you. He looks like you. I went to college with him. Okay. The, his most famous role, and he was not a very big actor. I think he ended up teaching for the rest of his life. He was. He sat next to William Hurt in the movie The Accidental Tourist. Okay. If you remember that, and he goes, hey, you're The Accidental Tourist. I remember it also because I read the book. Anyway, that that's his most famous role. Great guy. Wonderful actor. There's an audition for Seinfeld A guy is sitting next to Jerry on the airplane. He's talking to him and something happens. Okay. I go into the audition. And I'm very good at knowing what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. And I'll lose a job because I'm not right for it. I don't turn down the audition. But please don't hire me. That's what I said. I sort of said here. I go, you know who you should get is Brad Mott. He'd be perfect for this role. In the audition. In the audition. In in the audition. I walk in and I say, use Brad Mott. He's great. The casting director goes, we already, uh, he's not available. All right. You've never heard a more bullshit answer in your life because Brad lives in Chicago. (laughs) Nobody knows who Brad Mott is because he's not a a working Hollywood actor. (laughs) But I'm not about to say to a casting director, you're full of shit. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Which should have been my response. Instead, I said, then I'm by far the second best choice as a joke. Right. I do the audition and I got the job and I was all wrong. I'm telling you, I wasn't right for the wrong. Okay. We go to work on Monday and back then, I'm telling this way too long, but it's a fun story. The table was enormously long in the audience was 150 people because everybody wanted to be there for Seinfeld, they want to be around. Right. There was an omelet bar. There was food <laughs> to be had by all the. events. And I'm sitting over here, and way down at the other end is Jerry. I'm supposed to be sitting next to him on an airplane, so they should have put me next to him so that we could have an intimate conversation. Instead, I'm screaming the lines down at the end for a role I already shouldn't be playing, <laughs> and nothing was landing. After the reading, I went up to our director, who I knew, a guy named Tom Chironis, and I said, "I, I, you got to fire me. I'm not right for this." He goes, "No, no, no. You're great." I go, "Tom, I'm not right. I know I'm going to get paid. Fire me." No, you're right. I tell Larry that afternoon, who was somebody I didn't know well, "You got to fire me." No, you're great. We do Tuesdays rehearsal. We do it all. That afternoon we have the the run-through. I said to Larry to fire me. Tom called me that night and he fired me. Rightly. Larry said, we're gonna change it to be a drunk. He's gonna be out. So I said, I didn't audition for that. I'm not right for it. I'll tell you who replaced me. Do you know who Joe Maharas? M-A-H-E-R? No. One of the great character actors of all time. Of all time. Did you ever see uh um Heaven can wait with Warren Beatty. Yeah, of course. He was the butler, the gray-haired English okay. butler. Yes, that's who replaced me. Okay. The opposite of me. Right. So I got fired from Seinfeld, <laughs> but I asked to be fired, and I never got hired again. But then I was lucky; I got on uh, on that. What was the question, Brian? Why don't you? Why do you make me tell these long stories <laughs> I, no, when they have I love no point? I, when they no, have no I point. I, I I love <laughs> it. I I mean, all
3: I know is this: is that you are way, way spicier than parsley. I know that. I know for sure. Not yes. as bland as parsley you, and pointless.
2: You are correct. I can add. I can add to it. However, let's face it. We're going to the to the movie. We're going to watch the TV show because of the meat and the potatoes. Don't worry. I'll make everything look nice. Potatoes are white. Meat is brown. I'll give you a little green. <laughs> I'll give you some color. But you're not there to eat me. You're there to eat the meat and potatoes. (laughs) All right. Fair, Fair enough.
0: If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen Nicotine Pouches, you can find many.
2: I'm going to tell you something else. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're going to jump years ahead. Yes. Because what I'm doing now. Okay. Do you watch East New York or are you aware of East New yes, York? Yes,
3: of course. I was going to talk to you about East New York. Well, I'm going to mention the, the that. The top
2: premiere of last year. You're on I a hit, maybe. I am at this age with this face <laughs> and my resume that I am playing a cop. It's fantastic. There's nothing. <laughs> how grateful. Oh, my God. <laughs> And you know, you're jealous. You want me dead. (laughs) I know. I'm the luckiest guy in the world. That show is a police drama. Okay. That show is all about detectives trying to solve a crime. Yes. What the hell am I doing there? (laughs) I give it flavor. That's what I do. I I question still, can I be a New York cop? Really? At my age with this body, can I? And I walk and I see some 260-pound cop standing on the corner, New York cop. I go, yeah. I'm a New York cop. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a new, I'm not a TV cop. Right. I'm a New York cop. You want realism? You want a little bit of flavor? You want what New York can offer? That's what I'm there for.
4: Right.
2: But I ain't gonna solve the crimes. I'll help other people will run into the burning building with a gun. Bam, bam, bam. I ain't doing that. But I lend it great flavor and humanity. <laughs> and I that's what I love. I love well,
3: it. that's and, and, what that's what I always want to do as well. For sure. Yeah. It's yeah.
2: it's what it's what I do. Um one
3: time I wanted you dead. One Go time. Go ahead. One one time I wanted you dead. I have not been lucky enough to work with who I consider to be up there as the greatest creative filmmakers in the United States, the Cohen brothers, a sure. serious man. Uncle did you Arthur. audition for the role? Now I think I was a little young, or at least that's how I justified it to myself. Yeah, that was one time. You you mentioned that at the beginning, like that you want these people dead. Just briefly, just for a moment. Oh, I wouldn't oh, say dead. Of course. More just like the what is it, the galuli uh kneecapping incident? Exactly. The, yes. That's just another that. way of
2: saying. Yes, I I yeah. loved their kneecaps. Uh, look, I had that back when I was understudying at Pelinor in seventh grade in Camelot. <laughs> I wanted I wanted I wanted the guy dead. I, I would I was I, and literally in my head thinking before Galuli was ever there and uh uh and, and the, the the woman had her knees knocked out, Nancy I thought Kerrigan. about it. Yeah yeah Nancy guy I I wanted yes that's what I'm talking about. Of course I don't want them dead and I like those. I love those people. Yes. I love them. But for a little while, well, let them not exist.
3: Uh, t- t- <laughs> talk to me. I'm a huge fan of that movie as well. Your performance, Stellar, a, a Serious Man. How was it like working with the Cone Can
2: I say say something else? Yeah. I wonder, and I, and I know what your last name is, and I don't even know your religion or your background, but more often than not, I would Think that you would play the Irish kindly uncle? Like you should do, *Our Wilderness*. Okay. Have you ever done *Our Wilderness*? I, I have not. I have you not. You know the play?
3: I do know the play. Yes. I oh my God! Play.
2: How wonderful! <laughs> you're larger than life. You're, you're who we, you're who we want to be with, and that's, that's, uh, that is your, your essence. Now my essence is usually happy and everything, and I was sort of lovable, but this was a darkly troubled guy, which is a fun thing to play. And of course you could play it. But initially somebody who was up for the role and we've talked about it was Patton Oswalt. Mm. And could he have done it? I, I just think it would be very different. I, yes. I, I I think that what I bring is a little bit of the same lovable characteristics that you would, but deeply sad. This lonely guy who goes to what was the what was the the bar that he went to for the young boys, but could that guy be capable of it? Uh, of course, and that's what's so great about all of these horrible serial killer dramas. Yes, that they look like the 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 scout leader next door.
4: Yeah.
2: Uh, and anyway, let let's talk about about the Cone Brothers. Uh, I have so many things about the Cone Brothers to say. Number one, they are as brilliant as you think, and it is not haphazard. Uh, I once said that I think, that, like Hitchcock, the movie, they know what the movie looks like before they ever step on set. Yes. So that's, that's one thing. They do let the actors go. When I auditioned for it, I'll tell you, I'll tell you where I was. I was doing damn Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> I, in that, El Paso that's, <laughs> that's I was doing I, I was doing damn Yankees in El Paso Texas at okay. a theater and you uh, don't say no now I uh, you don't say no to anything to damn, not, I've always I always wanted to play Applegate we had a two or three week run <laughs> go and rehearse for a week and a half two weeks go do the play I wanted to do it right so I'm doing uh damn Yankees <laughs> in El Paso and They want me to audition for the thing. Well, I can't come in because I'm in El Paso. So they have me tape it. And the direction from Joel was, you can't be too big. When you cry, you're crying. It's huge. And he told me the story of Bill Macy doing Fargo. And there's that scene where we all know where he's so... Frustrated and things aren't going his way. He just bangs on the roof of the car. Bang, 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 like that. And Bill Macy said, I, I, They're going to laugh at me in New York and they're going to laugh at me in Chicago making a choice like that, acting like that. Joel said, No, 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 do it. It's what everybody remembers. He was huge. Who bangs on a car like that? But he did out of frustration. So they said, You can't be too big. So I had to do that tough, tough crying scene by the pool. Mm-hmm. And I was not too big. And so I got, I then come in. I'm going to go back in time. I get called in to meet them to read for two movies. One is Burn After Reading. Okay. A lawyer has a, two speeches and they're huge. I worked and worked and worked on that. The other was the lawyer in Serious Man. I hardly worked on it. And it's, it's nothing. I didn't care about it. I wanted to be in the movie with George and, and, and Brad Pitt and Fran and uh, and do that. I didn't get the lawyer role. I mean, the, the this lawyer and Burn After Reading with the monologues, I didn't get it. Killed me. They don't want me for the lawyer in, in Serious Man. So I read for the rabbi. They say, we want you to look at the, the character of the lead, the Michael Stuhlbarg part. I said, you know what? You're the Cone brothers. Why would I want to do a cold reading? Let me go home and study it and then i'll come back for you. you're not doing this for a long while right yeah sure they never called me back so <laughs> i gave up the lead by not auditioning by not doing whole reading right however then it was summertime and they asked me to do the, the i think they had finished doing burn after reading and george who was on the set at the time and who was my good friend said, "No, no, no. The boys really want to. he always put it like this. The boys really like you. The boys want to use you. The boys really like you." <laughs> that's when during the summer I I put myself on tape for cousin Arthur, yeah, and, or Uncle Arthur, and that's when I, uh, I I I did the thing. But I had auditioned, you know, from December through till June. Right. Uh, so well,
3: congratulations on that. I I, I do want to bring up. You brought up George a couple of times. You you know you talked about meeting people and a variety of people. On projects and how much you love that, you guys ended up becoming roommates. Yeah, and uh, well,
2: yes, we were roommates. We were roommates because it was an Oscar and Felix thing. He he had uh, he had split with his wife, and he so he stayed with me for a while before he uh, okay uh, got his other place. And then I used to stay at his house. So was I a roommate? No, I was a guest at his house. Right, but I would never call us roommates. You wouldn't per se. Okay. No, but but we did stay together because of circumstances. <laughs> right. Yeah.
3: Do you and he, do you all talk about work and what interests you and potentially people or projects that, that he has steered you or you have steered him into?
2: Never once have I steered him into anything. Okay. Or given advice. I used to be astounded at some things. There was a role... I mean, he's so smart. There was a role. He wasn't a big, he wasn't a star then, but he was getting offers and big things. He was offered a role on a script that he really liked. He, he would talk about it. I really love this script. I really, And you'd be surprised by it. And then they rewrote it. And he looks at it. And he goes, This, this, they, they rewrote it. It's we He called the producers or called the director. He said, This is not, it's not good. You we got to go back to the other one. They go, Well, we're not going to. He ended up not doing the movie. It was a big budget movie. And it did not do well. Number one. Another big star uh got the role. He walked away. And mm-hmm. it was probably a million dollars, maybe more. It was a big movie. Right. It bombed. It bombed. That still stays with me, that he is so astute and he always says, you know, these movies that they, they haven't finished the script, but there's already a coming attraction in the theater. No, no, no. You go into a movie when the script is finished. You know how it ends. Now, you can't tell that to Humphrey Bogart and, and uh, Ingrid Bergman because they kept rewriting Casablanca, but I understand that. On the flip side, for myself He is always so intuitive and has great opinions and can give great advice. And there are times when I don't take it. And he gets furious on me. He's truly angry. (laughs) I'm telling you, he's angry at me. And I go, well, I, I, I did it. But we don't talk about work that much at all. Yeah. No, hardly, hardly, hardly talk about work at all. Plus, he's in a especially now he's in a a sphere of things that you know it would be like asking uh uh some little soldier who's out in the field what what we should do in the Ukraine. It's <laughs> it's it's just heads and tails above my sphere.
3: Well, I think it's fascinating that you both are such good friends. The the idea that you you know what you just said that he had the ability to turn down something that was some million dollars or whatever. <sighs> And again, you, you say yes to everything. And what's fascinating to me about that is not, I mean, you know, of course, people have different choices or whatever, but that that for you, it feels to me like that you say yes to life, basically. And I that,
2: absolutely, and- I, I, I'm going to tell you something that's really interesting. This is really, really interesting. And it happened last night. Okay. I didn't get to see the Barbara Walters special that they did where they celebrated her life. Yes. And she asks the celebrity, a lot of them, what is your philosophy of life? Or what is, something like that. In my head, I'm thinking, what if I was interviewed by, what is my philosophy? I want what we were talking about. I want new experiences of everything, travel, food, my glib thing about a date, if you are at a restaurant, your favorite meal is on the menu, or the house specialty is on the menu, what do you order?
3: I I will 100% ask about the house specialty, and if I believe from the person who is serving me that it's really something, I will order that for sure.
2: I am close to you. There's not a prayer, I'm not ordering the house specialty. I don't care if they say it's the chef's throw up. I'm ordering the house specialty. That's what yeah. I do. Yeah. I'll never have that again. Where will I be? You say it's the specialty? Okay, unless it's like the fish of the day because oh, we had we ordered too much. That, right. But if they if if I'm told that this Polish restaurant has duck and and it's the best thing ever, and I yeah. go, I'm not really much for duck, I'll order the duck. Yeah. No, I'm uh, with you
4: there.
2: That's how I live my life. I want the new experience. That's what I want. I, I, out of two hours of Barbara Walters, they haven't shown George, he's the one who, they. that's what he answers. 45 seconds from when I answer in my head, George goes, I'm afraid I'm going to miss out on something. Mm. I'm afraid I'm going to miss out on this experience, that I'll die without having done that. The same answer. Yeah. I was... I, I, same answer, little different words. I right. think I just want to experience everything. But you're right. That's what life is. I tell my kids that. And when they don't listen, I want to grab them by the lapels right, and say, no, do this. I invited my children to the Kennedy Center Honors. I can't force them to go. And I wasn't going to. It's the fucking Kennedy Center <laughs> Honors. <laughs> Chances are, if you don't go with me, you're, you're, you're not, never going right. to the Kennedy Center Honors. Right. You're not going to meet Gladys Knight. You're not going to meet the President of the United States. There's a chance, a real good chance. You're going to meet all of them. If you go with me, they said no. I'm okay with that. A little bit, I understand. They don't want to be in that. They're young doing that. But that, that, that's what I want. Right. That, That's my philosophy. And I do embrace life. That's I want it all. Yeah. And I am... F- uh, foma was fear of missing out
3: fear of missing out
2: yeah oh it take it takes me forever to you know to get to a party, but to leave um i'll I'll close the place up,
3: you and I are alike in that way, and yeah. i and i will I will tell you this one, I've always respected your work, I respect you even more now, and two, out of this conversation, I will never, ever forget the dream that you told me because it's so aspirational, which would be if they had the money to do a guest star part every single week to be your own repertory company. That, I think that, that that's that is, yes. I think that is so fucking cool. I think that yeah. is so cool.
2: Well, funny. I have a question um, because I, I so love your work. Uh, uh, how often do you get to do plays?
3: Not, not, not so much anymore, uh, but uh-huh. you know, you know, what's so funny about that and who knows, maybe this conversation will make me do, I have been talking about it. Uh huh. Like a lot the last six months,
2: right? A lot, and I'm not talking about a long run. No, I know. I'm talking about going to Seattle and doing it for three weeks. Yeah, or or finding out a Gunkwit is doing uh you know uh, this uh, one play out in a Gunkwit, Maine. Because the thing about TV, which it, it gets scary, is that you walk on set, and your goal is to get through the day. Is to it's do I know all my lines? Not even do I know my character. Do do I do I can I get all the words out? That's no way to act. Mm-hmm. You know the way to act is is go and, and really parse a play, and really in. get it deep. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that that's what it is. Yeah. So uh, anyway,
3: uh, Richard, thank you so much for coming on here. You have one made me laugh uh, and two inspired me. So thank you. Well, that's thank it. You.
2: What I really hope is that I like I talk like this that I'm not pompous. I can't no. stand it. If I listen back and I go, oh, what do I, why do you even talk like
3: no. that? Why would you no. No, it's that? awesome. It's awesome. Oh,
4: okay.
3: Thank you so Thanks. much.
2: Thank you. thank you. Thank you.
3: Richard, thank you so much for stopping by. For a little chat, I'm going to see you on a golf course very, very soon. Look, I think it's safe to say, not just me, but all of us are mad about you. Yeah, that wasn't good either. To all of you out there listening, thank you for tuning in. Next week, we have got a pretty, pretty exciting guest coming your way who I will give you absolutely no hints about because, well, I value the power of surprise. We'll see you then. Off the Beat is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Ling Lee. Our senior producer is Diego Tapia. Our producers are Liz Hayes, Hannah Harris, and Emily Carr. Our talent producer is Ryan, Papa Zachary, and our intern is Sammy Katz. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by the one and only Creed Bratton.